Uh, today we're continuing in a series. We're on week three of Take Your Mountain, and we're talking about the seven mountains of influence uh, that we have as Christian believers to really affect culture and cultural change. Uh, the first thing that I want to kind of point out about this idea of cultural influence, you know, every time we look at the life of Christ, we look at a model for who we are and for what we can be as Christians. And Jesus' model of his life was in the marketplace. It was in these areas of influence. In fact, in these marketplaces, we see where Jesus did the majority of his miracles. It's where he had the majority of his friendships, is where he had the majority of his relationships built. Every miracle, almost every miracle we see of Jesus was done outside of a religious context. It was done in the normal uh, connections from his day to day, in those normal areas where he connected with real life, real people. So that makes me think that possibly that's where God's calling us to, to affect real change in real lives, in real situations, in a real pattern that we are accustomed to every day. In fact, we see Paul talk about engaging in this marketplace, talking about engaging in outside the four walls of the church. And in Acts chapter 17 and verse 17, he says, therefore, he reasoned with them. This is them talking about Jesus. He reasoned them with, or I'm sorry, Paul. I don't know who he's talking about. He's talking about some one of them. I goofed up there. Therefore, he's talking, he reasoned with them in the synagogues with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers in the marketplace daily with those where he happened to be. And so we're talking about leadership, this context that the leadership that we see mapped out in the, in the New Testament is giving us an opportunity to find fields of influence in our everyday. Sure, we should talk about the things of God here in church. And sure, in our small groups amongst other believers, we should hash out the details of what it is to be a Christian and to live this Christian life. But it should also bleed into our spheres of influence, our marketplace opportunities this mission field, this marketplace mission field is, again, just these seven mountains maybe renamed, maybe given in a different context. We have a religious mountain that's still a religious context in the mission field, in our everyday life. There are conversations going on about religion everywhere. Anytime someone says, thank God, they're talking about religion. They're actually talking about their theology of God, that he's a good God that whatever happened in their life that they're giving thanks for, that he's the one who is do that thanks. Every time you say to hell with it, you're talking about theology. You're literally saying there is a hell, and whatever this is should go there. It's conversations we normally have. In our families, we have opportunities in the marketplace to set a standard and to express God-given kingdom authority. When we come together as families, not just our own family, but other families in our community, and we coalesce as a family or, or a group of people uh, that are just getting to know one another, there's a family unit, a structure that's being represented. We can literally own that space in our everyday activities. There's the business where we do our day-to-day -day work, the job that we go to, the employment that we have, the business that we've started the, 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 the uh, new venture that we're taking on. We have an opportunity in that sector to influence the marketplace, to show folks this is how you do business on a godly level. Whether we're being educated, our children are being educated, or we are educators ourselves, we have an opportunity to show the merits of the gospel in an education sense. In government and in military, we have the opportunity to express God-given 
directives in that area. In the arts and entertainment, as we saw this morning, you can use the arts and some of something akin to entertainment and worship. Obviously, good music is entertaining. Bad music, not so much. But we have an opportunity in that to even lift up the name of Jesus. And then in the media, we can use the new media that is literally in our pocket every single day of the world to affect change for the gospel in our culture. So there was any level at which we can affect change on any one of these seven mountains. At any point in time, we can be preaching the gospel to our culture through any one of these seven mountains. And some of us, in fact, many of us are positioned to take our authority in one of those seven mountains. We are positioned to own our business for the cause of Christ. We are positioned to develop our family for the gospel. We might be positioned in an educational sense to show folks what it is to live a life in an educational setting for the gospel. Maybe you just teach a class here and there. Maybe you teach a class based on art or some other endeavor that, that really is you know, akin to your heart. I know Judy used to teach a class on painting, and she would show all these different painting techniques. And it's an opportunity in an, edu in an educational format to bring the gospel. Now, is it everything we paint has to be Jesus? And it isn't saying that the only thing that we can focus on is the Bible and all we do is write little scripture verses on everything and call that art. You know, sometimes it gets kind of goofy. But it is saying that we can take the opportunities that are afforded to us, that we can take the, the, the pulling of our heart, those, those hobbies that really are something in our heart that we want to connect with, that we can take those moments that God's given us and learn to own our mountain. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. There's a Greek word that's going to jump out here, and it's the word for world. It's the word cosmos. Let's read the scripture. It says, and he said to them, it's the words of Jesus, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This word cosmos actually talks about the universe, but it's really focusing on the created order that God intends for the world and for the universe, that there is an order to this planet and there, it is, there is an order to the universe that is spinning out there in the darkness. Nothing spinning without his perfect plan. No star is in its socket without his perfect placement. And he's literally saying to the expanse of the universe that you and I have an opportunity, that we have a divine directive to preach the gospel to the entire known universe, to all of the systems that are in place, that we are to preach the gospel to everyone in that culture that there is an arrangement of society, that there is an arrangement of culture. Thus, we have a mandate to involve ourselves in how God arranged the affairs of humanity, that we should find our place and own and take our mountain. Now, Jesus was even tempted on this end. For those of you that are aware, Jesus was tempted three times by the devil. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn, let's see, first to Luke chapter 4. We'll go to verse 5. Maybe a familiar story for some, and maybe the emphasis wasn't quite, quite drawn out like it could be. But it says in verse 5, Then the devil came, taking him up on a high mountain. Again, seven mountains, on a high mountain. And he showed him the kingdoms of the world in a matter of time, in a moment of time. That we see Jesus on a high mountain. Again, seven mountains, seven moments of influence, seven pillars of influence. And then the devil shows him all the kingdoms, all the ruling places in these mountains. 
and the verse goes on in verse 6. And then the devil said to him, all authority is given, or I will give you uh, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever, whoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, they'll be yours. The same satanic lie continues on today. Men and women are shown a mountain peak. They're shown a place of influence or prominence. They're shown a kingdom that arises because of that influence. And they will literally do what we have all heard as fabled talk, but it's a real exchange that they will sell their soul for influence in that kingdom. We know of athletes we know of entertainers, we know of actors who have literally sold their soul. Now, I don't mean that they had some kind of awkward paper contract with the devil. I mean they went against everything they know to be true and to be honest. How many, how many gospel singers, people started out in church singing praises to God and then shaking everything they got on stage later on? You see it happen all over the arts and entertainment community. We see folks grow up in church and in godly homes and God offers them a gift that if they'll use it and manage it properly, everything that the devil lies to them that they will get through selling out would have been theirs anyway. We know that in the life of Christ that everything the devil tempted him with would be his anyway except he had to go through the way of the cross. And our, our position is no different. That even if we're to own our mountain, but if we sell out and take the path of least resistance, we may own our mountain. We may get to a station of prominence. We may even acquire a lot of money and fame and wealth. But if you don't do it God's way, it'll ruin you eventually. If you don't do it God's way, eventually you will be subject and slave to the adversary of everything that God has for us. But if we do it his way and go through the cross, if we do it his way and go through his plan and his purpose, that everything that God has destined for us will be laid out in front of us as our reward. It just depends on whose path we're going to take. Let me be very honest. There are ways, there are nice, well, not, they're not nice, I'm sorry. There are very planned out, systematic ways to grow a church that are incredibly manipulative. Lori and I get faced with this all the time, the temptation. If you spend the right money at the right time, you don't tell people what you really think or believe. You just lie, tell people what they want to hear. You know, you can grow a church that way. A lot of people do. A lot of pastors do. In fact, I had a conversation with a pastor not too long ago who told me about his beliefs about the afterlife. And they were nothing scriptural. And I looked him in the face. I said, can you preach this at your church? He said, oh, I wouldn't dare. People would leave. I thought, you got to be kidding me. You know that what you think in your heart, you don't even believe, but you wouldn't dare preach it to your church because the folks would leave? We act like sometimes pastors are the holiest people on the planet. Trust me, they're not. They deal with things just like you and I. Well, I guess I am one. Crap. <laughs> we have an opportunity to... Push away from the satanic lie that says, claw, scratch, bite, do everything you can to make your way to the top, and then you'll have the prominence that you're seeking. We can push that aside and say, no, be a humble servant unto God, and he will elevate you in due time and in due season. The satanic lie persists, persists to today because he knows he knows what it is to have prominent men and women at the top and the highest pillars of culture 
that if they're willing to compromise their morals and their spiritual values, that he knows that he can put them in his pocket. In fact, the fact of the statement is of the statement is very true that he knows that if he if he can if he can control a kingdom, if he can control one of those mountaintops, that he gets to harvest that he gets to harvest the souls that we're going after, that he gets to harvest the people that we're going after and we're seeking after. Yet the church for many, many, many years has tried to separate itself from so much of culture that we don't have a place anymore. You know, there was a time where television was first invented. I know most of us have grown up with television. Some of us even black and whites, and very few of us can remember a time without television. But the time when television was invented from the churches, they were preaching, don't you dare put that demon box in your house. They were preaching that nothing other than the devil is going to come out of that screen and grip your children, just like the poltergeist. Take them away. Don't watch that movie. It's a bad movie. But I've seen both. The old one and the remake. I love horror movies. By the way, just a little thing from your pastor. I love horror movies. Not like gross and, you know, but I love that ooh, scared moment because it's all fake. My wife will dream about it for five weeks, so we never get to watch one. But I grew up watching that stuff when my parents didn't know I was watching it. <laughs> oh, well. Life happens. But the enemy is very aware that 3%, 3% of culture, whether it's globally or regionally, at the highest top of every mountain of society, controls the decision and the fate of the rest of the 97 if you don't like what you're hearing culturally in our community, then raise to the top and fix it. If you don't like what you're hearing or feeling nationally, raise to the top and fix it. We don't have to stand by idly. And maybe you're not the one called to raise to the top. Maybe you're called to raise the next generation that takes their place at the top. Maybe you're called to infuse in the next generation the words of God the promises of God. You're called to infuse in them the mission of the gospel so that when they take their place at that top 3%, they influence culture and they, they can look down and say, I had great coaches, I had great parents, I had great influences. Look at what happened because of their influence in my life. God rose me up to this level. And I'm reminded of men throughout culture who have changed lives Literally top 3% or less have changed lives. You know, we all know the story of the Holocaust and Adolf Hitler. And his, his big philosophical statement was simple. Tell a big enough lie long enough and people will believe it. He marched to power with that statement, with that ideology, eventually murdering 6 million Jews. And it started with less than 3% at the top of the government mountain in Germany. But we also see great examples. A man who was here in the Quad Cities this week changed rock and roll history. One of my favorite bands of all time, the Beatles. Changed history because four guys decided to play some music. Because four guys decided to get funny haircuts get on a TV show and shake their wigs because four guys decided to go with their passion. They changed rock and roll history forever. In fact, today, that if a song comes on the radio that you've heard that's a Beatles song and you are familiar with the lyrics of the tune at all, it will instantly transport you back 
emotionally in your memories to a place where that song meant something and had resonance. There's a song that Paul McCartney sings, Maybe I'm Amazed, and when we're on long car rides, Lori and I sing it, and the kids hate it, plugging their ears. You guys can't sing, you know. We know we can't. We're in a car. The windows are up. Nobody else can hear us. It's fine, you know. We're not hurting anyone but the kids. And we sing the song, and they're going to embarrass me someday, so I can't wait. Or they do embarrass me. I can't wait to embarrass them, you know, Anyway, um, it's going to be like a job of a dad, you know. This is going to be like my greatest moment in history. How can I embarrass my sons? I can't wait. can't wait to sing that song to them in, like, lunchroom at high school. It's going to be awesome. But we sing Maybe I'm Amazed, and then with Noble, we sing, um, oh, shoot, what is this song? Um, oh, darn, it's a John, Le- uh, John Legend, John, John Lennon song. <laughs> Look at that. I'm all over the place today. Uh, it, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but we sing these songs to the kids, and they're, you know, all Beatles or Beatlesque songs, and, and, and they, they mean so much to us because they're, bring, they're bringing us to moments in time where we connect with the lyrics. You know, each one of us have that potential to bring to our culture a moment in time where the, the core of culture is connected to what we are doing and what we're giving and the gift that God has put in our heart to give to others. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 10, the words of Jesus as they asked him, how should we pray, Lord? He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That this philosophical idea of owning your mountain is about heaven coming to earth, that you and I are carriers of the gospel and that heaven will someday invade earth, but it has to happen through us first. Heaven can't come to earth without us in the intermediate, in the exchange. We have to be the catalyst, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter where God's placed us, no matter what mountain that he's given us influence over, we must find our purpose in bringing heaven to that mountain, in bringing God's kingdom and reign to that position. But far too long, far too long, we've separated the church from its culture the church from the culture that it lives in. Paul said that you are in this world, but you are not of this world. He gave us the real placement that we know that we are here for a time being, that we are part of this culture for a time being, but we are not of the world. I got to hurry up. First, uh, the first point I want to make is that we come and we raise to the top because we assimilate. We learn to assimilate to the culture around us. It's not always an easy thing. But we can't separate church from society and expect to assimilate. We can't separate the sacred from the secular and assume to assimilate. We can't separate holy from worldly and assume that we're, we're assimilating. We can't take the spiritual out of the natural and expect miracles to happen. God intends for us to take everything sacred, everything holy, everything church, everything spiritual about us and inject that into the culture and the society that we live in. We're not supposed to wall ourselves off and hope for a better day and pray, God, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Rapture now, Jesus. That's the way some of us feel. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 4. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Jeremiah 29 Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, which we'll come to, is probably one of the most misquoted, misunderstood scriptures of all time. We're going to clear some of that up today. This prophet was 
speaking to a people who are in exile. They're about to go into exile. What does that mean? They're kicked out of their home countries. They're turned away from their lands. Jeremiah 29 and verse 4 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. He's the reigning king of Israel. To all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. I think for most of the church, at times we feel that we have been carried away to a foreign land. We walk out and we see the culture and the effects of culture, and we cannot recognize how we got to this place. Do you know that it might be God's plan that culture get as bad as it gets? It literally was his plan that the Jewish people would be exiled from their home, exiled from everything they knew, exiled from everything comfortable, so that they would be in an uncomfortable place in a foreign land, and he gives them their, his reasoning in verse 5. He says, go, build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens and eat of their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, so that there may so they may bear more sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. He says, invest in culture, plant some roots, grow a family, live in that space. Don't beg him to change the world around you. Get involved in the world that currently is, because I want you to increase and flourish. The gospel has always increased and flourished on the back of pressure. And I would say the most it has increased and flourished is on the back of martyrs. When the pressure of culture is so heavy, when the pressure of the culture around us is so hard that we feel beat down, we feel marginalized, that we feel as though we are now the other. In those moments, the gospels flourish the most. Why? Because the true nature of Christ comes out in God's Christians. The true nature of Christ comes out in the church. We begin to be loving even in circumstances where we are being pushed aside. We begin to be those who show joy even in moments of turmoil and trial. We show the antithesis to the behavior that should be of those who are now counted as others. I don't, I don't hope for the day when that happens because I do think it's coming to some extent, but I know that even as it does come, that the church will rise up with a purpose and a mission to seek and save the lost, because that has always been our mission. The backdrop here of this scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11, God's people exiled, told that it was God's plan. By the way, take root in a foreign land, take wives, have kids, grow roots deep in a foreign land so that you will increase, so that you will spread through your influence like wildfire over this new land. And then he says this to the children of Israel, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. We have many times claimed this scripture over our life when we're in a bad situation, we're in a bind. Things aren't going the way we want them to. And we run to Jeremiah 29, 11, and we say, God, I know you have a plan and a future and a hope for me. God, I hope it works out. Hallelujah, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Close the book, I'm gone. Let's work it out, God. When what he's saying is very simple, it's not where you want to be. It's not where you expect it to be. It's going to be hard, 
plan your feet firm, grow some influence, and when you do, what I promise you will flourish. The nation I've called you to be, the influence I've called you to have, will flourish once you don't shy away from the culture you're in, but you engage with it. We need to learn to assimilate to the culture so that we can have real cultural influence in the lives of our community. Again, I said this a couple weeks ago, the stat's still true this week, I wish it had changed. Barna just came out with a new study, 15th post-Christian city in America of 100. 15th. We are climbing the ladder in a negative way. It, it gives us perspective. Is the church getting her hooks into culture to the extent that she's seeing change, or is the church building taller and taller walls and saying, no, you're not a part of us? Is the church effectively reaching culture? And I don't mean changing who we are and our principles to match that of culture. I mean, are we investing in the lives of people? Lori and I decided this week that we would launch a podcast. I hope some of you liked it, uh, that saw it this week. Uh, but we decided to launch this podcast for a reason. We think this is a good way to connect and influence culture. As leaders of this church, as Christians, as people who have a viewpoint as people who have studied out many of these hard topics and issues, we think we can add our perspective to it. We know that folks are generally going to Facebook, they're going to websites and podcasts and YouTube far before they ever darken the door of your church. So we need to create a way to get our hooks into our local culture to pull them into the church. And we knew we had to do this in order to affect change. This was our step, one of our steps to live out taking our mountain. That there's a media platform that we think we can own, at least regionally, if not maybe in a greater sense. And if we can allow God to work in us to own that. I don't know if you noticed, but over the last year, I've been toying with different types of media. Little podcasts for almost a year, just to see how it connected. Little chopped up sermon bits here and there. I was all part of the plan to get to this point where we knew how to use the systems that the world is offering us so we can use their systems so that we can inject the gospel. Sometimes it might take a year of planning or maybe even longer, investing in a system and then you, by kind of a, an offshoot way or maybe a backwards way, sneak the gospel in on the backside. Use the system to your advantage. The Bible says that we are to be harmless as doves but cunning as serpents. Sometimes the church has turned that around and we're as harmful as serpents and we're as cunning as doves. We need to turn that back on its head. We need to learn the systems of the world. We need to learn how to maneuver and navigate culture, but in the same time, bringing the message of the gospel, bringing the message of life to the gospel or, or to our culture. So there are few ways that we gain influence, real influence in our culture. One of them is through success. Someone has success in the light of culture and we look at them and they automatically have influence. How many of you have listened to celebrities? How many of you have listened to recording artists and their particular political viewpoint? We all do it. You go, well, who said, uh, uh, Will Smith said what? I wanna hear what he has to say because he's successful. There's a level of influence. If Warren Buffett starts to talk about the stock market, everybody that's involved in stocks around the world listens. He's earned that station of influence. 
Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, meditate in it day and night, that you may observe and do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The Bible literally tells you how to be successful so you can gain influence. Joshua literally says, take this book of the law, take the scriptures, meditate on them day and night. Don't let them ever come away from your mouth. And if you do what's written, if you do what it says to do, this is our path towards the cross to gain influence. This is our path towards uh, away from the temptation. We can go one route where we, we scratch, claw, and bite to climb our way to the top, or we can go the other route where we submit ourselves to Jesus, we submit ourselves to the rule and reign of Christ in our life, and this is how we do it. Sometimes practical steps aren't in every sermon. Sometimes we don't find pra practical steps in Scripture the way we would like to. Yet Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 lays it out as, as simply as it could ever be. I will say this. Some folks look at people in the church world and they think, man, they're lucky. Man, they're lucky. Look at what happened in their life. They look at folks who it looks like, man, just this Christian life is easy. And we look at them and we say, man, they just, I don't know, I don't know what's different about them. It must be the luck of the draw. They're not lucky. Sometimes it's just more obedience. We forget that obedience paves the way for God to do in us what he promised to do. And you know, he can't do it any other way. Just like with my children, when I say I will reward them for a job that I anticipate them doing, I can't reward them when they don't do the job. If I do, that's bad and faulty parenting. By the way, if you do that with your kids, stop. That's the number one way to ruin them. Reward them for doing exactly what you don't want them to do. We have a little puppy at home. Well, she's not little anymore. She's about 50 pounds. She's a Doberman. We got her uh, just after Christmas for the boys. Last year in June, our, uh, I think he was eight years old, our eight-year-old Doberman passed. Uh, he had a heart condition that a lot of Dobermans have, and he passed. So kids were begging us for a puppy. And so we found this beautiful puppy over, over Christmas, and we weren't going to buy the dog. But we're, we didn't think we were really ready. But, man, the boys really got on their mom. And I saw a picture and sent it to Lori. And it was like, yes, by now. Like, <laughs> I love that little puppy thing. Let's do that. And they don't stay puppies. I don't know if you noticed that, but... You buy a puppy, and in a couple weeks, they're big dogs. It's a couple months later. Now it's eight months. That dog's 50 pounds. You know, she still does some things we're trying to break. I don't reward her for doing it. We treat train the dog. We give her little pieces of, of food every time that she does what I ask her to do. She sits her butt on the ground. When I say sit, I give her a piece of food. She has a habit that she's absolutely in love with, and we can't break it. It's a bad habit. It's a really bad habit. Every time Noble's door is open and he's sleeping, sound asleep, dead asleep, she loves, I mean, her tail, her little butt's wagging as fast as it can go as she's running down the hallway. She slides under the covers and licks his face until he gets up. <laughs> it's cute. It's not cute at 2 a.m. It's cute at 7 a.m. And by the way, he doesn't think it's very cute at 2 a.m. I can't reward her when she wakes him up. I can't reward her, even at, two, even at uh, 7 a.m. when I think it's cute and the kid needs to be out of bed, I can't reward her for that behavior because she'll continue to do it at 2 a.m. But most of us in our lives, we read scripture like this, do what God says to do and your way will be prosperous and you'll have good success, and we do exactly what God tells us not to do, and we're like, well, God, where's the blessing? Where's the success, Lord? 
where's my, my, my path to march up my mountain? I thought I was going to take control of this mountain area. God, we were, we were climbing that mountain together. And he's like, I didn't tell you to do that. I told you to do this. Get back into what I told you to do, and I'll reward you. The reward will be there. But if you continue on a path that I didn't carve for you, you're going to hack that way yourself. Genesis chapter 39 and verse 2, I'll do it quickly. Uh, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. That when God is with you, you will be successful, and he will bring you into areas of prominence. He will put you in front of people who matter when you abide by his words, when we abide by his calling, when we do what he says to do, he will make our way successful. There are three things that change history, three things that have changed history and they will change history again. Violence always changes history. We have seen coups in government. We have seen overthrows of leadership. We have seen men murder other men, and it has changed the course of history. Knowledge will change history. As knowledge comes and we excel in different areas of knowledge, it will change patterns of history, good or bad, but it does change history. And the third thing that has changed history is wealth. Now, some of you, this might be hard for you to follow. You might not like this. It's okay. I'll use the Bible. Hopefully it'll make it better. But sometimes we forget that God calls us to positions not so that we can sit just in a station of influence, but that we can have real, honest-to-God, material influence. You ever watch two poor people try to help each other? It doesn't work out too well. They don't have the resources to share between themselves to get the job done to really elevate their lives. But you throw in someone with substance, someone with money, and all of a sudden that situation, even if it's only for a short period of time, can raise. We are proving that as we are giving shoes to children in Romania. We are taking the wealth we have as Americans. Some of you might not feel very wealthy, but compared to those kids, you are rich beyond measure. We are taking our wealth and influencing a community. As we influence our community with substance, the gospel is preached, therefore the community is changed. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to Get wealth that he might establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You have a covenant that was sworn to your forefathers. You have a covenant that God cut even with Abraham. That he says that he will make you the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. That he will give you a station of prominence. That he will give you right to rule and reign over one of these mountains of influence. And it comes as you get wealthier. Some of us need to be more disciplined so we can handle the wealth. I've been there. God wanted to do some things in our life early on. We were young and dumb and didn't think about anything other than ourselves. And we spent money so fast. Anybody ever been there? You have it, so you spend it, and it just kind of comes in one hand and out the other. God was preparing us. He was preparing our heart for something in the future. I now can look back and know exactly what he was pointing us to. Yet we squandered some of that money. In fact, way more of it than I would have, than I would like to admit to. We squandered it, not doing anything wrong. We just ate out all the time. We didn't have kids, just Lori and I. We had good paychecks. We ate out all the time. We didn't think about it. it didn't matter what the restaurant cost. We ate out. We ate good. We got fat. It was awesome. <laughs> the Bible also says that we are to eat 
the fat and drank the sweet, also in Deuteronomy, but not forget our brother who's in need. That we are not called as God's people to live impoverished for a lifetime. That some of our success will come as we go up the ladder and God blesses us financially. Shouldn't shy away from it. Psalms chapter 35 and verse 27. Let them shout with joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. Let them continually say, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. You can't confuse that word in Psalms with anything other than financial wealth. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon are all part of a grouping of literature called wisdom literature. They had one primary purpose amongst the Jewish people. It was to teach how the Jewish people could stay healthy and be wealthy. That was it. Healthy financially, healthy physically, healthy in their relationships, and wealthy, literally be people of substance. And it's worked. There's stereotypical comments about Jewish people that they're wealthy. Because they are. Because of a promise of God right here in Scripture. That promise of God has been transferred over to us as we become heirs under the promise of Abraham, as the Bible says. We're not just those called for salvation. We are those called to move mountains because of our resource. We do it on one sense where we give shoes with a little extra that we have in our pocket. And sometimes we don't trust God to put in our hands great excess so that we can give with great excess to fix the woes of this world. When God puts something in your hand of substance, financial increase and gain, there should be one question that you ask first. Is this mine or is this yours? There should be one thing that you ask first. Now, if you get a raise, you're like, God, I've been waiting for this raise. I need this raise. I need to live on it. And God says, I want that first check. I want you to give it away. You know, the second check is going to be good too. The third check will be great. The fourth check will be awesome. And by the 10th check, you'll want another raise. Amen? That's how it all works. Listen, we are in a place as Christians where we have forgotten to demand of culture, I'm going to increase. I'm not going to stay here anymore. Listen, I don't care what color you are. I don't care what side of the tracks that you are from. I don't care what economic system you grew up in. I don't care where you've come from. If anyone that looks like you has ever made it, you don't have an excuse anymore. Let's move up the ladder together. Let's put down the idea that the culture wants to shoot to all of us, that we are nothing more than victims to a system. You are not, and the Bible says that you're redeemed from that anyway. The Bible says that you're redeemed out of the curse. You are redeemed out of this old system, that you are in a new system. Your color doesn't matter. Your ethnicity doesn't matter. Your your gender doesn't matter. Where you grew up doesn't matter. God promises this to everyone under the new covenant. But when will we allow our guard down enough to live in it? I believe full on, that if we, if we adopt this message of taking our seven mountains, that there will come a time as you gain influence and prominence in what God's called you to, that you will get wealth. You will get substance. God will increase you. As he does, understand why he's doing it. It's not, for, it's not to show off. Listen, and I've had some people say this. Well, you just want people to give. That's showing off. You just want people to give big amounts of money. You talk about giving, it's just show. Listen, I could show off more with that money in my pocket than in an offering bucket or in your pocket than in an offering bucket. Let the elevator go to the top, man. 
We're not asking for your money because we're trying to show off something or because we need to pay some bill. God supplies our needs. We're not asking for you to excel in the things that God called you to and therefore excel in a financial status because I want more of your money. It's because that's how you affect culture. There's a level of knowledge in which we affect culture. We bring the knowledge of the gospel. But you know that knowledge door has been shut? People don't... There's a Bible in here, but pretend it's a you know paper Bible. People don't look at the Bible anymore as the authoritative word of God. They question everything. I don't know if that comma should be there. Shut up. You've never read two sentences. You don't get to say. Anyway, I'm sorry. I hate those arguments. People argue of the validity of Scripture. You know what will open this door? Money. Find an opportunity where you can meet the felt need, a financial need. You'll be able to preach the gospel all day. Listen, if someone came in the door today and said, I'm going to give you $10,000, but you got to listen to me. You'd be like, yeah, what do you want to say? Ten grand, cool, write the check, buddy. I will listen. You get those guys, man. You call them Amway guys, right? They come in and tell you, you're going to be awesome. You're going to be great. You're going to rule the world with this online business. And then it never really happens. That's a different story. But the promise is that you're going to make all this money through our system. And maybe this, maybe this sermon today feels like an Amway pitch. The problem is it's happened. There are Bible story after Bible story. There are people in this room who have stations of prominence because they did what God told them to do. Their wealth has increased. God has built them up to a place of influence. Why? Because they were true to the scripture. Not perfect. Not asking you to be perfect. True to the scripture and to the calling. Where is God placing you? What area of influence is he trying to hand you? This morning, if you leave with anything, leave with this that God wants to bring you up in your station of life. That this gospel is not a sedentary thing. It's not just get out of hell free. Thank you, Jesus. Well, praise God till we get to the pearly gates. We have a mission here on earth to affect cultural change. And we can only do that with the message of the gospel and the influence we have in our hands. And that influence many times rides on the resources that you bring with you. Today, I want to encourage you, be someone of substance And you might think you're not rich. You're richer than someone. You might think to yourself that you don't have wealth. You have wealth beyond maybe someone. Someone next to you, someone local, someone maybe even in this room. Listen, every one of us have someone underneath us that we can pick up and pull up. Every one of us have someone underneath us that we can grab and link arms with and that we can pull up with our resources. Be that catalyst for change, and you will be on your way to the top of a mountain of influence in our culture. Amen.